0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. If you can turn to 1 John chapter 5, and uh, this is the last time that um, for the next foreseeable future that we will say that. Turn to 1 John 5. I think it's about 16 or 17 times we've t- told you to turn to the book of 1 John as we've been working verse by verse. And today we get to finish off the last two verses of this amazing book. And, um, and so have uh, your Bibles ready to, to look at that as we'll be looking at those verses in just a moment from 1 John 5. Well, on Tuesday morning is a day that students, for the most part, are heading back to school, whether it's a, um, elementary and, and junior high and, and senior high schools, as well as universities are, are getting rolling again, and colleges and all of that. And it's a day that summer is over, the schedules are getting going again, and, and life is getting kind of kicked back into high gear, whether you like it or not. And for some parents, and, 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 and for some students it can be a hard day because it's a day of change and it's the first times or, or or maybe it's their last. your student's last year of school and there's some emotion about that or maybe it's the last child at home and now you're not sure what you're going to do with yourself because they are going to be in school, all of these different things. And um, and oftentimes it, it's, it, it can be a hard day, it can be a difficult day because your kids are growing up. And, and uh, oftentimes parents take pictures of their kids on the first day of school. This was a picture we took last year as Clarice was heading into grade 12 and Nate grade 10 last year, and and, um, and 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 so you know I don't think there's a few more pictures of them not being thoroughly impressed. I think we kind of forced them to smile for this picture. But this was this was Charlotte's reaction to uh, that last or that that first day of school, and um, and and so in that we 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 see that kids may not be impressed, but oftentimes parents can be. But um, but in all of that. Um, As we come to the end of this book, uh, this is building towards something, um, just so you know. In the last few weeks, our daughter Clarice, she graduated in June from grade 12. She's been attending a lot of kind of farewell parties and get-togethers and even hosting one at our house for some of her friends who graduated last year from grade 12 and are now the classmates who are heading out across Canada for various colleges or training or universities that they're going to. And so there's been a lot of goodbyes and goodbyes let's face it, are never, uh, oftentimes not very easy. We don't look forward to it. This morning, just before the service, we had a dad from Harvest Oakville who brought his son, who's going to be attending UBCO uh, out here, and, and, and they couldn't stay for the service because he's getting into his dorm room at 9.15. They're going to hopefully make it towards the end. But even already, the dad says, Wednesday's going to be difficult because Wednesday's the day I fly home and I leave my son here. And yeah, and, and, and we're like, hey, we're part of the same family, the family of God. And, and even connected through the harvest bonds and so there's already been some connection going on there and, and uh, I trust that this young boy will feel a part of our family here and know that he's loved and, and we can uh, come alongside and, and provide some of that encouragement to his parents as he moves across Canada for that. Goodbyes are never very easy and, and uh, we know that um, already we get a little lump in our throat when we think that our daughter's turn uh, will come in January Lord willing as she is planning to head to Bible school in Australia Australia and so it's just like oh I've seen all of this happen and you know these goodbyes they're difficult they can be emotional and and sometimes some people just like to avoid them sometimes it's just better you know and and you'll sometimes have that you know that crazy relative or maybe you're that crazy relative that everyone's saying goodbye and it's just like where did so and so oh he's already waiting in the car doesn't want to say goodbye or else they go and busy themselves because they don't want to say goodbye goodbyes can be hard And, uh, and I'm sure all of us at times can think of difficult goodbyes that we've to say to to others, I think four years ago this weekend, difficult, oh, gut wrenching goodbye at the Kelowna airport as I was saying goodbye to my family to head off to um, church church planters to the training center in Chicago for for four months um, to attend the training center there. And that was just an ugly day. That was not a day we were looking forward to as a family, and it was. It was that ugly cry day as, as we said farewell to each other and say goodbye. And then sometimes when we say our goodbyes, it's saying a goodbye knowing that there is a good chance we may not see that person again on this side of eternity. And so, yeah, goodbyes can be difficult. And so, as we come to the end of 1 John and we say goodbye to this book or we see how John is saying goodbye, we can see maybe he doesn't like goodbyes very much because he very abruptly ends the book. Most of the books of the Bible, as you see them, as they are letters that are written, oftentimes there's an end greeting or an end farewell or, or, or an end prayer, you know, God's grace and peace be with you all, but not with John. He just ends rather abruptly and We'll get to that in a moment, but let 's remember that John, just a, a recap here that John wrote this letter, he wrote this letter to Christians who were confused and even discouraged because of the false teaching that was infiltrating into the church and into the lives of people, pulling them away in some of these false teachings and heresies and and, and lowering the standard of god 's word and and, and, and it 's a very timely book for what we 're even seeing today within the Church of Jesus Christ, but it was happening then. And and as he was writing to, it is believed, the church in Ephesus. And so he wrote this to encourage the the believers, to warn them about the teaching, and to remind them about what an authentic faith in Jesus Christ looks like. And he's telling them the authentic faith in Jesus Christ is not what the false teachers are saying. It is what we see here in the word of God. And and, and here is a Holy Spirit-inspired letter that John wrote to believers then and to us today. And and this book has emphasized about Jesus, Jesus, about a right relationship and a right understanding of who Jesus is. The Muslims have a view of Jesus and they try to to, to, to put it together with our view of Jesus and, and, and make it look like it's the same Jesus. No, it's a different Jesus that they believe and that they follow and as a person of history that, that they do not deny that, but they definitely deny his deity and, and other aspects about who Jesus is and his work. And, and so we also know that we have to have the right understanding Understanding and a relation, personal relationship with Jesus. It's about walking and abiding day by day by day through obedience to the word of God. And then it's also in growing one of the fruits, one of the marks of an authentic faith, one of the key ones is a growing love for fellow believers. That the Christian life should be marked with a growing love for one another, a growing willingness to forgive when we've been hurt to let go of bitterness, to get along with one another, to serve one another, to not look at what we can take but what we can give in relationship to one another as well within the body of Christ. And so 1 John... Is, is a book that, that helps us to understand this. And as we've been going through the final chapter and we've spent the last few weeks on the last part of the final chapter, we see that John, as he's, he, he gives us this understanding throughout the book of who Jesus is and now he says, and because of all of this, you can have confidence. And, and when you have an authentic faith, when it's the real thing, when it's not a counterfeit, when it's not fake, when it's not the faith of the false teachers, but a, a faith that is described here that we see, we can have a confidence. And the first thing we saw, there was a confidence. This was a number of weeks ago that we have eternal life. A confidence that that eternal life in heaven is something that we can look forward to, not just hope for, but that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. He wants us to know. Verse 13 is so clear on that. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And then last week we looked and saw how we can, authentic faith gives us a confidence that our prayers are not only heard by God, but that he is answering our prayers, that God asks us to ask. And so we need to be in asking people and asking God to, to, to work in mighty and powerful ways. And he calls us to pray. And we talked about what some of that prayer looks like last week. And I look forward to joining together with with you folks uh, in a couple of weeks on Wednesday night, September 20th. This is the annual get together with Harvest Oakville and the church plants that they've been a part of planting. I think there's gonna be six different churches represented in Oakville. And then uh, streaming into Quebec where we have some church planters on the ground there. Streaming into Harvest Ottawa and streaming at 4 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. Encourage you to come, be a part of that and, and it will be at our church office and then afterwards we'll enjoy some food together. Come whenever you can, book off early, plan uh, from work not life but book off early to come and, and and to join us together for that night of prayer. There's something powerful when hundreds, actually probably well over a thousand people will join together in prayer and we need to be a part of this and God asks us to come before him in this way um, individually but corporately and, and, and and what a joy to join with with churches across Canada in this way and then thirdly we can have a confidence that we can experience victory over sin. We don't have to continue to keep stumbling and failing and falling and keep going back to old patterns and old ways that through Jesus Christ, we can have victory over the sins that ensnare us, the things that, 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 you know, part of our old life. and, And it's just like, I can't seem to gain victory. There's victory. There's power over those sins in and through Jesus Christ who stands for us, who stands with us, as well as walking with us. He's given us the body of Christ so we can walk with one another in accountability in authenticity and then uh, finally we come to the second last verse and what we're going to look at here this morning the second last verse of first john um, is this look at verse 20 you can follow along with me and we know that the son of god has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true And we are in him who is true, in the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So here, you can jot this down as as the the last thing here that we see that we can be confident of, that John's telling us. We, We can be confident because of Jesus, because of believing and understanding of him in the way that the word of God describes it, the way that he describes to us. We can be confident that we are in the truth and that Jesus will see us through to the end, to the end of our lives, that, that he is the true God, the only God, the one and only, and he will see us through to the end. Notice the statements in here. We see three times. Jesus is basically, it says here, true, true, true. No matter what the false teachers are trying to teach you, that Jesus wasn't God, that Jesus was just some kind of, you know, good teacher, whatever is being taught today in other religions or ones that even claim Christianity but take a lower view of Jesus. No, Jesus Christ is the true son of God. He is who he says he is. He is who the word of God tells us that he is. And it says, and we know that Jesus is the son of God and that he has come. He is the true God and eternal life. It's true, true, true. Folks, you need to know this, he's telling them. And folks here in Kelowna, sitting here this morning, you need to know this. Jesus is the true, true, true way. He's not just a concept. But he's a person and the false teachers were downplaying jesus they were downplaying his deity saying he wasn't god they were downplaying his incarnation and this is all happening today saying that he wasn't you know that he wasn't god in the flesh uh, others were also downplaying his significance the significance of his death as being the propitiation for our sin saying his death on the cross really didn't matter. You see, Jesus just simply wasn't a good man. He was the God-man, and we need to know that. And in this verse, John is declaring this to his readers, that Jesus is the true God, and he is the way to eternal life. John, in his gospel, in John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way. This is Jesus declaring this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other paths to Jesus. There's no other paths to God. There's no other way to eternal life. It is through Jesus, and that is what is declared in God's Word. And so, folks, John is saying, and he's saying to them, he's saying to us today, don't settle for what others have to say, don't settle for what the false teachers have to say. We do not deny the virgin birth because it's true. We do not deny the deity of Christ because it's true. We don't deny his sinless life because it's true. We don't deny his resurrection because it's true. We don't deny his death on the cross as being the full and satisfying payment for our sins because that too is true. And folks, we have to know that What was true then is also true today. God's word doesn't change, even though we are seeing a lot of revision of history happen in in our world today, as well as even within the church. They're trying to revise what God's word says today. We don't deny the, the biblical definitions of right or wrong. We don't deny um, or we don't cave on the, the hot buttons that we are facing in our day. And we'll get to that later on this fall, Lord willing, because, the God, because God's word is true. It hasn't changed. God's view of sin hasn't changed. He hasn't softened. And sometimes you have been no doubt and you will be in the future. You will be tempted to move in this way. I know there's times in my own heart of hearts that at times we can easily start to think, well, well, maybe we're just a little too fanatical. Maybe we're just taking God's word a little too literally. Um, Maybe churches like Harvest, you know, just we're taking God's word too serious and we need to be a little more inclusive, a little more tolerant on, on, on certain areas and certain issues, on certain beliefs and teachings. Folks, feelings like this will come and go, but Jesus and his word will stand forever. It has not, it will not, it will never change. And he is the one that is worth following. And we are to be watchful. Standing firm, persevering, brave. I believe we are moving into an era, and again, Lord willing, we'll get into this a little later on this fall, where we as churches and we as individuals will need to take more and more of a stand for the truth of the gospel. We're gonna be put in some awkward positions and will we stand up for our faith in Jesus Christ? If we do not stand for Jesus in front of others, we're told that Jesus does not stand for us. That if we deny him, he will deny us before his father. I don't want any of us to be doing that. And I love how verse 20 ends. He says, he is the true God and eternal life. He will see us through whatever happens in this world, whatever happens in your life, in your family. And in the end, he welcomes us to heaven. What a hope, what a confidence we have. When I was a a teenager, there was a book that came out by this young lady, Joni Erickson. And some of you, if you've been around for a few years, you would be familiar with this book, first of all, and the life of this woman who loves Jesus so dearly. She at the age of 17, kids I think there's an answer that you need to fill in on your little blank there, uh, at the age of 17 was in a diving accident, went out for an afternoon swim and was doing some diving at a, at a nearby creek and, and dove into a shallow part of the water and because of that diving accident, she was left as a quadriplegic. And it was, this book documented the accident, the recovery and her Ups and downs with trying to figure out God's plan, God's sovereign will, and all of this, but then through all of this, she developed an incredible gift to be able to do artwork with her mouth and uh, just was able to, to do amazing paintings and drawings that she still continues to do to this day. But more than that and more importantly, she's become a woman who has stood strong for the power of God to, to bring purpose and meaning to a life where many people just cave in and just say, it's too hard, it's not worth it. She's authored dozens of books and has a ministry and a retreat area to help and encouraging people in their suffering. She continues even now to suffer from chronic pain. She's a breast cancer survivor. She married a, a wonderful man. Her name, full name now is Johnny Erickson Tata. I encourage you to, to Google her name and just to find out more about her and her amazing heart for God and the way that she can be such an encouragement. But she's been more than a survivor. She has been one who has been thriving in her handicapped, in her pain. And it's all because of Jesus. In the early days, there were many people praying for her healing. There were many people just um, telling her to to give up on God and why would God allow this? And and then unanswered prayers and, and all of this. And yet, she is a woman who has stood strong for God. And this summer has now marked 50 years of her being in the wheelchair. And the reason why this has all come to mind is because I read an article this summer about her and, and it's just fascinating. I would just love to read some of this to you about her as you get a picture of how she has a confidence in Christ and knowing that in the end, he will see her through to eternity. He will be there to welcome her into heaven. And so here is what she wrote uh, in this article and we'll put the link in, in next week e-news. You can listen to this. Recently, I was at my desk writing to Tommy, a 17-year-old boy who just broke his neck body surfing off the Jersey Shore. He is now a quadriplegic. He will live the rest of his life in a wheelchair without use of his hands or legs. When it comes to life altering injuries, quadriplegia is catastrophic. Halfway through my letter describing several hurdles Tommy should expect in rehab, I stopped and I felt utterly overwhelmed thinking of all that lies ahead of him. I've been there and I even know that half—that though half a century has passed, I can still taste the anguish. Hot, silent tears began streaming and I choked out a prayer. Oh God, how will Tommy do it? How will he ever make it? Have mercy. Help him to truly find you. As of today, I've done this for 50 years, she wrote. Like Tommy, I was once the 17-year-old who was wretched at the thought of living life without a working body. I hated my paralysis so much I would drive my powered wheelchair into walls, repeatedly banging them until they cracked. Earlier on, I found dark companions who helped me numb my depression with scotch and cola. I just wanted to disappear. I wanted to die. What made a difference, what, it, what a difference time makes, as well as prayer, heavenly-minded friends, and a deep study of God's word. All combined, I began to see there are more important things in life than walking and having the use of your hands. It sounds incredible, but listen to this. But I would really would rather be in this wheelchair knowing Jesus as I do than being on my feet without him. She'd rather be in the wheelchair than going through a life without Jesus, without truly knowing him. She says, I hardly know where to begin, but decades of study, paralysis, pain, cancer have taught me to say, it is good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees from Psalm 119. I won't rehearse all suffering's benefits here. Many of you know them by heart, like the way God uses it to shape character in us in Romans 8:28 and 29, or how it produces patience. Or how it refines our faith like gold, or gives us livelier hope of heaven, and on and on and on. Back in the 1970s, my Bible study friend Steve shared 10 little words that set the course of my life. Now, listen to this God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Steve explained it this way, Joni, God allowed all sorts of things he doesn't approve of. God hated the torture, injustice, and treason that led to the crucifixion, yet he permitted it so that the world's worst murderer could become the world's only salvation. In the same way, God hates spinal cord injury, yet he permitted it for the sake of Christ in you, as well as in others like Joseph when he was when he told his brother God brothers God intended my suffering for good to accomplish what is now being done even the saving of many lives it is the hard but beautiful stuff of which God makes 50 years of your life like when did that happen i cannot say but i sure love Jesus for it here's someone who has a growing a building confidence in her lord and her savior jesus christ and knows that he will be faithful to the end i wonder today do you know jesus like this have you experienced jesus in a personal way in your life meaning have you put your faith in jesus christ as the one the son of god who was born into this world who lived a sinless life who died on the cross as the full and satisfying payment for our sins. And was buried and rose again. And on the third day ascended. And rose again and then ascended into heaven. As, and promises to return again. Have you trusted in this Jesus? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted him as your Lord and your Savior? You see, folks, when we receive Christ in this way, the Holy Spirit comes into our life, the Spirit of Jesus, and he begins working and transforming us from the inside out. It just doesn't become a bunch of discipline and a bunch of do's and don'ts. There's a growing desire to want to live and obey and follow the Word of God. And what a confidence and what a hope that we have. Do you know this confidence? Do you know these four things in your own life? You can. And I trust that no one here today leaves without this. And then finally, we come to the last verse of the book. And this is just such an odd ending. No fond farewell. Maybe John just didn't like saying goodbye. And so he just kind of blurts this out. And I encourage you to look at it because it's a unique end to a book. Probably one of the more unique endings. And he says, little children... Again, we see the father heart here that John has. He's older. He's in his 80s, maybe even into his 90s. And he loves these people. And this is his heart. And he's calling them little children. Keep yourselves from idols. The end. Little children. Keep yourselves from idols. What a goodbye that is. What an ending. And it's just like, here it is. Goodbye. Boom. Gone. But those last words are so important. He's reminding them, I like the way the NLT puts it, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. You see, the thing that's going to destroy that confidence and will not give you a confidence is having a competing love. A competing love for God. And this is what he calls and refers to as idols. You see, as I mentioned, John wrote this to believers believing it was in the city of Ephesus. A city that was given over to idolatry. There was all kinds of idol worship going on. There was actually the temple that was um, there uh, that was built in honor, in, in, in affection for the goddess Diana. And her temple was then listed as one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient, ancient world. And it was located there in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a huge concentration of the making and selling of idols. It was one of the chief occupations. And, and, and so there were tremendous pressure on the people, on the Christians to embrace this idolatry. They would see it wherever they would go. And oftentimes when you see things, you start to draw an attraction towards it. And here he's warning them, keep yourself from idols. Keep, your, keep, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart that will ruin your confidence and it will ruin your joy and your peace. And it may even reveal that there isn't an authentic, genuine faith in your life. Now, let's face it, few people today in contemporary culture actually worship idols made of stone or wood, like we see there on the screen. But sometimes in certain ethnic um Restaurants we may even see here, I've seen this a number of times in, in different restaurants that I've been in in, in Western Canada and, and that you see a little corner devoted to some idols and they have some candles or some, some lights that are there on that and sometimes they'll even bring food and, and have some food there that is placed there for um, the God that they idolize and the God that they worship and, 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 and yet that's rare because we don't have those kind of corners in our house. Or do we? Do we have things that get our affection? Things that we worship and we bow down to. Things, material things that we say and we think we cannot live without. Today there is so much idolatry out on our streets, driving around, in our homes, in our lives. We can easily have it just full of idols. John Calvin put this, Great quote, encourage you to write it down. The human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. We just produce them over and over again, even within our own hearts. The human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. And idolatry is worshiping something or someone or even just a concept other than God. It's about what is at the center of our lives and only you and I can answer this personally for ourselves. It's whatever is stealing our affection and our time and our resources from God, keeping these things more important, God getting the leftovers or nothing at all of our time, of our affection, of our financial resources. And idols can be good things that become God things that end up becoming bad things in our lives. And even though they're good things, they become bad because they've become the God place in our life and that's that's the wrong relationship. What are some common idols? Well, people, family, friends, relationships, living for the approval of individuals, living for, for relationships. Perhaps if you're single, it's a spouse. It's like, I, I, I got I, I to be married. And thinking, first of all, I have to be married and I, I have to have a spouse. This just, then my life will be complete. Folks, only Jesus will complete you. If you think that marriage will all of a sudden answer and answer or take care of all of the problems and the issues, and you think once I'm married, life will be just so much better. No, it won't be. It adds to, to to it all. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Yes, marriage is a gift from God. And yet, if we idolize people above God, even our marriages can struggle because we've placed them and those and our spouse will always let us down. I will always let down my wife. She can't. She has to look past me and look to God as her source of strength, of true hope, of help, of encouragement. I want to try to be that, but I'm not that. And she can't put that on me. That's something that only God can do. We can easily idolize people, whether that's, as I said, a spouse, a family member, celebrities, politicians, religious leaders. We look up to them. But at some point, that person will let us down. They just will because they're not God. And then when they let us down, we turn to another idol. We turn to someone else thinking, oh, if I could be like them, if I could just learn from them. No, it's to be God. Good things that turn into God things that become bad things. That's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then love others. Love him first and most and best Another idol can be possessions. We're striving, working towards, if only I have this, or once I get this, once I achieve this. And, and, and Jesus warned in Luke 12, he says that our lives are not measured by our wealth, by our stuff. A man's life does not consist of what he has it, or what he hopes to one day have. That's not. In the, that may make a big deal here around your circle of friends or your family, and it's like, look at what they've achieved. To God, that means nothing. Your life is not measured by what you have. It's by our heart with Him, and out of that flows everything else. Power, desire to be in control. I have to be have the first say, and the final say, or 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 you know, claw and 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 do whatever it takes. To be in a position of power. Look at how I've made it. My word means something. Or pleasure. We are to enjoy this world. We live in a beautiful part of this world where we can enjoy it. But boy, our society has gone overdose when it comes to pleasure and just living for the pleasures of this life. When pleasures and the pursuit of these things put Jesus in our relationship with him, second or third or fourth or just even nowhere on the page, That is definitely, those are all idols that we have ahead of it. And we have to be so mindful of this. Who is your Savior today? Who is it that you are truly worshiping? What is the thing that you want most in this world? that you think will complete you and you just think, if I only get this job, if I only get this house, if only God works in the life of my spouse in such a way that, that it will make my marriage better, it will just be so much. Those are all idols. Those are all idols. You see, wherever we go, every magazine cover that you see, thing on social media, so much of it, it becomes someone's heaven you know, that clean or that perfect looking house or, you know, having nice obedient pets that just have that, that wonderful look to them, you know, that you see on the magazine covers. Oh, if I just had a pet like that, that would be so good. Or, or maybe it's nice abs. We all have six packs. So you just can't find some of those, you know. And, or maybe it's, you know, what kids that are, talking and looking the, the right part maybe it's a car or a boat or a renovated home or that new home and if only I have this if only I only have this that would be my heaven that would be just you know if I just get this then I will be satisfied and then I will be able to kind of do what I need to do with God and and, and I'll really be able to worship God and be able to sing of how good and how, how great God is yet that heaven will never come those are all counterfeits they're all idols and idolatry will greatly affect and destroy the confidence that we can have that you see here on the screen. What are the idols? What are we building our confidence in? The peace of God comes when we pursue Him first and foremost in every area of our life. And when we have idols in our lives, we get our eyes off of Jesus and we get it on other things. May we be freed from idolatry and may we be able to recognize and encourage you just even in the next few moments as we go into a time of prayer and as even as we spend time together participating of the lord's supper in a few moments encourage you to spend some time just reflecting in your heart and recognizing what are the idols where where is god in my life is he a close first like he's, he's in second no, he needs to be first And we need to recognize and repent of those things. I mean, and again, they can be good things, but when they become God things, they become idols and they're bad things then. And we need to be turning to Jesus after we repent. And one of the best ways to deal with idolatry is to worship Jesus, to turn our eyes and our affections upon him. And his love and his sacrifice, his grace that has been poured out to us and the life and the confidence that we can have that no matter what we face, he is with us and he will see us through to the end. And so even this morning as we worship and as we spend time just preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper, just ask you to remain seated as we sing together, as we worship and spend some time recognizing, repenting and recommitting our lives to Jesus Christ first and best in all areas.